time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on TogiNet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships, stands the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being with me this lovely Monday. Today... I am going to be doing a show that is of much interest to me, as I'm sure it will be for you. For the majority of us in the area of sexuality, we are often asking ourselves this question, am I normal? Is this okay? And that can lead to, for many people, depending on the kind of information they have received, or the cultural, social, or attitudinal, Um, variations that they were raised with can cause them to have a lot of stress and tremendous upset over things that may be appealing for them. So my guest today is Winston Wilde, who is a doctorate in human sexuality. He's also a member of California Association Marriage Family Therapists. And Winston has been a longtime colleague of mine, and when he mentioned that he was going to be presenting a paper on troubling turn-ons and troublesome turn-ons, I thought, wow, that is a show I would love to do. Because when people, it's kind of like turning a light on, on occasion, and having all of the cockroaches scurry. Because once a light gets turned on for many people, it's no longer... It isn't like the, the, the bully in the schoolyard. They all of a sudden go, oh, now I think I understand it better. However, now, Winston, I believe you're on with me right now. I'm here with you again, Lou. It's great to be back. Well, thank you, my dear. We have such fun when we do this show. <laughs> sure do. Now, please explain to people, now, troublesome turn-ons, are when you first mentioned this, I said, okay, great. So who determines that they're troublesome? Someone outside of the person or the person themselves? Well, I believe it would be the person themselves would have some trouble integrating their turn-on with their life, their reality. And okay, it, was so our pe- colleague, it was our colleague Jack Morin who mm-hmm. uh, invented the term troublesome turn-on some uh, 30 years ago. Oh, did he really? And we so miss Jack. Uh, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. A, a fabulous man. So can you explain for people what someone might consider to be a troublesome turn-on and at what point do things like not integrate? You you had different terms that you used, ego systonic and ego dystonic. 
Uh-huh. Well, in psychology, ego means self, and syntonic means okay with, or dystonic, like dysphoria. It means not okay with. So ego dystonic would be, you know, I'm not okay with this part of myself. Mm-hmm. And that can be just something somebody creates for themselves. For example, somebody who's on their way out of the closet from being gay, they may be very ego-dystonic about it. They don't want to be gay. Um, and then that can change over time. So it could be self-imposed or it could be culturally imposed. You know, mm-hmm. if you live in a country that executes gay people, well, then there's a good reason to not want to be gay. Uh, right, your you know, your whole human self is at risk. If, right. Okay, when we say you know the, how much do partners have an impact? But what I'd like you to do is to give people an example of what would be an example of a troublesome turn on that you have had or know of that a client mm-hmm. has come to see someone about. Well, I think a typical one that we that we see, not necessarily from the clinical population, but just generally, is, uh, you know, every once in a while, somebody's really turned on by their spouse's sibling, or, you know, they're really turned on by their girlfriend's best friend, or Mm -hmm. somebody that uh, we call the naughtiness factor, you know, they should not be turned on to their priest or their professor or something, you know. So it's the wrong person, and they don't want to be attracted to that person, but they are. Another example might be it's not uncommon uh, for women to, you know, be really, like they want to have a boyfriend that's compassionate and kind and sensitive and can talk about anything but that's not necessarily who they want to have sex with. They want to have sex with, you know, the Hell's Angel bikers down the street. And their sexual fantasies are all about something other than their husband or their boyfriend. And so, you know, from our perspective, I think you and me, Lou, that's not a big deal, not a big problem. You have sex with your husband and you can think about somebody else if you want a little exterior stimulation. But a lot of Mm -hmm. people feel ego-dystonic about that. They shouldn't be thinking that. This is awful. This is horrible. Right. They they think they should not be having fantasies or fantasizing while they're having sex. And, you know, I'm going to let people off the hook big time. I would say the majority of people have done this often and more regularly than people have any idea. Your brain is the thing that has to get your body body involved. And Right. Right. And and thinking that, okay, you know, tonight my partner is so and so. You're with your partner and mentally you're with your partner too because your partner now has become that person. Right. From sex research we know that most people, especially after five years of being with the same person, that occasionally they're thinking about somebody else when they're having sex with their primary partner there. Or mm-hmm. they're thinking of their the person they're with uh back in the past. Or right. they're thinking about the person they're with but doing a different sexual behavior than we're doing right now. Or they're thinking about the person they're with, but that, that but that she's wearing a nurse's uniform or you know something else. She's got blonde hair, or, you know. Right, or and, and you know, nothing, which is 
nothing criminal about that. Right. Now, okay, so that brings me to two points that, you know, you and I had discussed earlier when we were putting the show together. What would be the difference between a troublesome turn-on and a fantasy? Or are they the same? Or could they be the same? No, I would say they're different because a troublesome turn-on is more about when one's primary erotic focus is on something that is troubling. Okay. Which is different than a fantasy. A fantasy, even if it's uncomfortable, is just a fantasy. Uh, But, you know, some troublesome turn-ons that, like we were talking about earlier, would be if someone is attracted to uh, a minor. That's Mm -hmm. illegal. Anytime there's these sexual obsessions about something that's illegal, that's a troublesome turn-on, for sure. That's Uh, one category. Like uh, having sex with an animal is against the law. And, Mm -hmm. you know, once in a blue moon, there's somebody out there that's only attracted to their dog or, you know, an, an animal. And that's troublesome. Most people don't accept that. They're not going to be your friend if they find out. And, well, uh, but, yeah, and um, Hani's work in that area <clears throat> has been um, really quite uh, insightful on that these people do actually, they are very much in love with that animal. Yeah, most, I mean, we, we don't want to get all off into zoophilia, but most zoophiliacs, according to the research, have one significant other that they're very attached to and would do anything for. And mm-hmm. it's usually a male dog. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, yes, we're not going to go there. But what we did, what you said, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> now we probably have about two minutes until our first break, that what I would like to then look at is touch on the things where you have worked with clients who have been attracted to minors and the things that they have shared with you. Because I think many people think there's kind of like one-size-fits-all kind of a brain and behavior for people who might be attracted to minors and if and what are the things that could help them or could work for them. So like the people that you mentioned that were attracted to their their wife's best friend or, you know, their sister's, you know, you know, best friend. What are the things that can be done for them to have them either turn that turn on down or disconnect from it? Or can they? Is that well, possible? Well, sometimes, yeah, sometimes people can and sometimes they can't. It depends on a multitude of circumstances. It depends on the therapy. It depends on the motivation of the person. And sometimes it's sometimes it's not even necessary to change. If if somebody's attracted to the wrong person, that's different than being obsessed with them, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. If they're just attracted to their sister's uh, best friend, that's one thing. Different to go out and act on it because you're obsessed with it. Okay. Okay. So when you have a troublesome turn on and you cross the line and start into action, is that then obsession? Well, I think people can obsess on things without even going into action. Okay. 
but this is the the mere act of obsessing on it, of thinking about it during every one of your masturbatory sexual interactions with, with yourself. There's such a thing. Um, it can be troubling to that this is the main thing I'm thinking about, or this is the only thing I can think about that'll bring me to orgasm. There's another problem that some people right have. now we went we covered a number of examples of that. We are coming up to our first break. My guest is Dr. Winston Wilde, who is a Beverly Hills and Palm desert-based sex therapist and marriage family therapist. We will be back after this break and talk about more troublesome turn-ons that may give you insight for you and others and compassion. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Padgett. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Goals, objectives, business and action plans. How important are they for me to manage? Whether you're an executive, entrepreneur, or maybe you're just someone looking to advance your career and want to be confidently prepared for your future, business and life coach Carmen Carosa can help you remove obstacles and move forward in the right direction. Carmen is known as the real world coach for a reason. His no-nonsense style along with an innate ability to form connections with people gives you a unique opportunity to see higher and further than ever before. We live and work in an ever-changing, complicated world that can leave us with questions about every decision we make. Join host Carmen Carosa, business and life coach, on Forward Motion. Every Monday at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, you will realize dreams and aspirations you thought were out of reach. LinkedIn. It's a great tool, and Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady. With the LinkedIn Lady Show, Wednesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is here to show you and your business how every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose that can benefit you. The LinkedIn Lady will have interviews each week with a variety of guests, such as business owners who will showcase their businesses and talk about how they're using social media to stay in touch with not only customers, but to attract new relationships that become customers. Other guests will be experts in social media who will speak to the use of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google, Plaxo, Squidoo, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. Join us, won't you? Every Wednesday afternoon at 5, 4 Central. It's the LinkedIn Lady Show with host Carol McManus on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everybody, and welcome back again. My guest, Dr. Winston Wilde, and I, and Winston is only going to be here for the first three quarters of the show. 
So if anyone has any questions they wish to call in, they, um, you can get on uh, toginet.com and go on to the um, stack over there uh, if you happen to have a question that you would like to email in. So before the break, Winston, we talked about clients that you have had come in who were attracted to minors. And can you let you know our listening audience know exactly what you have seen? Because I think it sort of goes against what most people would assume is that if someone's attracted to minors, they're going to act on it. They're going to have certain behaviors. Right. They're going to, you know, behave a particular way. Please tell me what you know. Well, the research shows that the vast majority of people who are pedophilic or have an attraction to minors do not act on it. And we know from other research that approximately 80% 80% of the child sexual abuse that happens in the state of California is not uh, perpetrated by pedophiles. It's perpetrated by family members who were intoxicated with a substance. So, oi, oi, uh, oi. Yeah, so we need to be really clear. Most people are not at all clear uh, because the media doesn't portray things accurately, surprise, uh, about pedophiles. <laughs> no. And I, I've worked with probably several hundred pedophiles in, in my career, maybe more. And I've only met one that was happy about being a pedophile. All the rest, you know, and most of them had not offended. Uh, they would be happy to have their arm cut off if they would not be a pedophile anymore. They really just want to be normal, most of them, mm -hmm. and they don't want to hurt children, and they struggle with it because they're, they have a troublesome turn-on that they will never be able to act on. They have to mm -hmm. accept the fact that their life is messed up in this way for the, probably the rest of their life. Is there so, something that... Not that I want to say this from a general standpoint. Is there something that is a trigger for turn-ons? Is there an age that a turn-on occurs, like a troublesome turn-on, or is it just something sort of like a perfect storm and something happens and the person goes, oh, I didn't realize that turned me on? Well, that's a big, huge question. It's kind of the nature-nurture question about what makes people turned on to what they're mm -hmm. turned on to. And right. I, you know, research is all over the place with that. Uh, I tend to believe it's a combination of factors that we have uh, perhaps an inherited proclivity to be a certain way, and then different kinds of environmental stimuli we may or may not respond to. Okay. Was that too much now, in the head answer? Well, no, it just is that is here's the thing. It's to me, for many people, they can go back to when they often knew that there was a certain event or something that was the trigger that had them say, oh, I'm really attracted to that. Uh-huh. Um, but you could ask, first... were they attracted to it before the event but unaware of it, and then the event made them aware of their attraction? Or was it the event that created the attraction? And I don't think we'll, we can, today, we can measure that or quantify it in any way. Right, because that's, that's what I'm going to be talking about in my fourth segment is the woman who does the, the one-woman show, Coming Out Kinky. It was having uh -huh. gone to 
a dungeon with someone and watching a particular scene, and she was like, whoa. And so whether it was the scene that did it, and that was what she saw, or whether or not it was there, and that opened it up. Exactly. I don't think... You know, you can't always be so sure about that. But I think in the kinky world, what we're seeing some of nowadays, which might be this woman, I don't know, uh, is that people who are not necessarily experienced with the kinky world, they don't really have a whole lot of sets of knowledge around it, they go to some place, either a dungeon party or a bar or a club where something's happening, and they see it, and they see the incredible intensity of intimacy going on between these two people. And, you know, kind of like a kid in a candy store, they they say, I want that. I want mm-hmm. that intense level of intimacy that, you know, I don't usually have in my seven to 10 minute sexual interactions. This is right. really something that I want to try. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I know that when people, you know, to just, grab a quick comment of the reaction to Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, presented to many people the interplay of a power play environment, which, by the way, people, if you read the books, you will realize he is not beating her up. She's the one who is initiating things. It's his ideas, but she's the one who opens the doors and says, yes, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And yet... She, the big thing behind what they are doing is it is a love story where Mm -hmm. the two of them, this is about their connections. So what Mm -hmm. I'd like you to do now, if you could, Winston, can you give us some examples of troubling turn-ons that you have know of professionally or have, you know, because I know you have to be, you know, the discreet. uh, Yeah, right. Doctor. <laughs> well, um, I know of someone who is a smoking fetishist, uh, cannot engage in sex, does not get an erection or reach orgasm without a cigarette in his hand. And it has to be a very specific type of cigarette. And um, although uh, this man is primarily, you would say, homosexual, I guess, because uh, he's attracted to men. If the men aren't smoking, it's, there's no interest. And what's troubling about it is not the smoking and not the men, but that the men have to be straight. And oh, so, okay. you know, that's kind of a conundrum because there aren't a lot of straight guys who are going to want to have sex with a gay guy while smoking. So, you know, it's one of these troublesome turn-ons in the sense that he's really attracted to something that's probably not going to ever happen. It might. Right. You never know, you know. Right. Somebody wants, I forget the joke, but it's something about what's the difference between a straight guy and a gay guy, and, and the answer is something like uh, two beers. Something. Yeah, two beers. <laughs> <laughs> like my friend says, two martinis. <laughs> it's a bad joke. I'm sorry. Really, it's a uh, bad joke. But... Another troublesome turn-on um, that I've worked with is a woman who can only reach orgasm through thinking about genocide. She can fantasize and think about other things during sex, but if she wants to reach orgasm, she has to be thinking about the Nazi Holocaust or the Khmer Rouge or the genocide in Rwanda or something really awful and troubling. Uh, It's not something that she wants to be doing. Right. Now, for her... Has this was this something that started after she'd seen a news report? You did mention that this person was 
very political. And is she orgasmic? Is she masturbating only with her hands or with a vibrator? Both. Okay. And either way, nothing happens unless she's thinking of... Does she have to see these scenes in her head to... to... Yes, yes. She envisions herself a part of it as being one of the victims. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So it's that hugely very upsetting emotion that does this. It's, yeah, the intense emotion that goes along for a politically um, humanist person who spends her whole life caring for people and impoverished people and underprivileged children, and this is her whole life. And then to... Uh, have these these kinds of fantasies is is ego dystonic. It's dis, disconcerting. It's it's troubling. Wow. Now it you know, does. And then I was telling you earlier. You know, another one of my favorite examples of troublesome turn on is the televangelist Jimmy Swaggart, who mm-hmm. for years was you know railing on TV against the prostitutes. Stop the prostitutes. They're going to hell. And, the, you know, the people that pay for it are contributing to disharmony on the planet. And then he kept getting arrested for having sex with prostitutes. Right. And so this is obviously it was a troublesome turn on to him. He was attracted to prostitutes but didn't want to be. Yes. As I say, you know, words tell you one thing, but actions really give you the whole entire story. Right. And, you know, they've now we we're going to, we've got two minutes, probably two and a half minutes until our next break. And in the next segment, what I'd like to do, we're going to finish with the troublesome turn-ons and then have some discussion on, you know, the, do parents cause their children to become gay? And that comes out of a gentleman who is a friend of mine, PhD linguist, who had a son come out and then a daughter and he was like sort of blindsided and said, is it something that we've done? And I asked Dr. Wilde and I said, can we talk about this for a bit? So we're going to cover part of that when we come back. And we have probably another minute and a half before our break. And my guest today is Dr. Winston Wilde, the troublesome turn-ons. And for many people, they may also think that their fantasy is a troublesome turn on because they may worry that their partner doesn't won't be okay with it. And in the final minute before the break, Winston, what do you think about that? Well, I, I don't. You know, anybody who wants to call it a troublesome turn on can. I, I'm not. Uh, you know, being so Nazi about it. You know, that you can only use it in these terms. But I, I don't particularly see it that way. I think that mm-hmm. a lot of people. A lot of very well-adjusted, married people. The husband has one fantasy going on of what he would like, and the wife has fantasies going on that she would like, and they're very different from each other. And mm. once in a while, you can get fantasies that kind of match up, and and couples are able to talk about it, you know, but during not, sex. But not, like, right. You know, right, here we're great. coming to a break. And you know okay. when I find that the fantasies match? Halloween.
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better, forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone. Welcome back on this lovely Monday or whatever day you happen to be listening to this. My guest is Dr. Winston Wilde. He is a Beverly Hills and Palm Desert-based sex therapist and California Association marriage family therapist. And just before the break, we were talking about the, the fantasies that people may have and that in my mind, that the real way that you, you know, the fantasy buffet is what you see people dressing up as for Halloween. And that to me, that's, you know, kind of like the play of what people would like to experience. Now, Dr. Wilde is only going to be with me for this next segment. And then the following segment, I'm going to talk about things in the news, the play that I just went to see, and a couple of other things. So, but Winston, tell me about this one gay client that you had who, you saw him for seven years, I believe. Something like that, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was... And this is his, his troublesome turn-on. Yeah, his troublesome turn-on. He was in his mid-40s, uh, but he didn't come out till his late 20s. He had okay. only had sex with women before that. And um, 
he but he was only attracted to jocks uh you know kind of 18 to 22 year old males who were muscular and athletic and and he was attracted to that in grammar school middle school high school after college it's just the age group never changed which isn't uncommon um, but the problem was is that he wanted these 20 year olds to see him as a 20 year old and you know, if well, did, were they visually impaired? What's that? Did they have to be visually impaired or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's nice to make light of it, but to him, it was you know really tragic because mm-hmm. uh, you know if you're 20 and you're with someone who's in their mid 40s, you're not going to see them as being 20 years old like you. I don't think, unless they're visually uh, impaired. Right. No. And so, here's the thing. You wouldn't, you couldn't possibly perceive them that way. Right. Right. So there was, there's a, a big discord between mm-hmm. his primary fantasy, his only fantasy, to be honest, and reality. They were never going to match up. And it's right. a troublesome turn on. Right. But, but you, you know, we spoke earlier before we, excuse me, before we got on the air that intergenerational, you know, relationships are, you know, that's pretty standard. Yeah. But but the issue was that he wanted them, he wanted the people who he was attracted to, to see him as the same peer group, the same demographic. Exactly. And that was never successful. No. uh Uh-uh. And, you know, I tried, okay, can you do daddy boy play? You know, and oh no no he just that was that was just the most disgusting thing to him that I would suggest that that was awful. Uh, he wanted it to be peers, not that, that it wouldn't be an age difference. So that's a troublesome turn on. Uh, yeah, I'd say because there's not a whole lot. It's kind of like I'd like this elephant to then become a giraffe. Exactly. Yeah. This is not going to happen. You also mentioned a gentleman who. Um, the story of his wife at the dentist? Oh, yeah. You know, um, sometimes eroticism works in strange ways, doesn't it, Lou? Sometimes <laughs> sometimes people are turned on by rage, or they're turned on by, like the girls with the biker down the street, they're turned on by somebody they don't really want to be turned on by, somebody they hate. And... Uh, so there was one guy seeing me, and his he had a lot of jealousy issues. That's partly why he came to me, to be able to contain his jealous rage, his jealousies. And everywhere his wife went, he would worry, what is she doing? What is she doing? And so he called me in a panic one day that she was at the dentist and that he was sure that the dentist was screwing his wife. And um, I asked, how old is the dentist? And he said, 82. And and then he said, and the dentist is really ugly, and I'm sure she's having sex with him. And um, and his, I said, so how are you coping with this? And he said, well, I've been masturbating all morning thinking about it. And the turn-on was the rage and the anger. Now, if we look at brain chemistry... Oh, I don't chemistry, know. If, I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's 
true. I think the that the rage was turning him on. I think the intensity of emotion and okay, that it go. was yeah. and that it was out of his control. But there was mm. nothing he could do about it. And then I think also that he liked that people looked at his wife as a sex object, that she was very attractive and he liked that, that other men would find her attractive, but it was also threatening at the same time. Now, was the reason he was coming to see you about the rage and the jealousy stuff because it was impacting his relationship? Uh, about the jealousy, it was impacting his relationship, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, there was also the text, what are you doing with the dentist now? <laughs> you know, like, oh, well, geez. he's killing my teeth, you know. Really? And, you know, just, you, this, know, you know, just this constant perseverating worry, 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 worry was too much. Because I know the four women who have had, or anyone who has had a jealous, insecure partner, that is... Once they start acting out and accusing you of stuff, you're literally almost to the point, you're right, I did it. You know, you're going to go do it. So they then, you know, like, you really get so backed into a corner, you basically have to get out of it to say goodbye. Well, yeah. right. And that that's, that's right. That's now, part of the problem. Now, I mentioned before the break that I wanted to touch on the... Can parents make their kids gay by their behavior? And the backstory to this is a friend of mine who is a, a university professor. He and he is from a an Italian background. She is from a background, and their son came out and about three years ago. And you know his initial reaction. He says, "As an Italian father, I went okay." You know, there's not going to be the family line. I'm the last son, which we know is not necessary because there's always what we know as adoption or surrogacy. Then, um, and his wife, fine with it. They are arranging for their son's marriage this summer. And their daughter, they have two children, their daughter just came out. And he said to me, Lou, is it something we did? We are, like, so concerned we did something. So when we were setting this up, I asked you what you had an awareness of, of the research in this area. Yeah, so I, I would tell him, yeah, you had sex with your wife, and you had two great kids, and now they're grown and they're gay. Because the implication mm -hmm. is, did he do something wrong? And no, he didn't do anything wrong. Because uh, as I as I always say, it, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, you're going to find homosexual people. Every mm -hmm. culture, every ethnicity, every continent, all around the planet, even where it's punishable by death, and they're still there. And so then you can ask, well, maybe God has a plan here and wants gay people everywhere on the planet for some reason, which is my my belief. And uh, not, I don't have any science behind that, but it's just my belief that <laughs> there's, there's perhaps an evolutionary function for gay and lesbian people. More to the question, we know from research studying children who have grown up in gay and lesbian households that in long-term studies to over 20 years, that 
there's no significant difference statistically between the numbers of children that grow up to be gay and lesbian in gay and lesbian households as in heterosexual households. Basically, mm-hmm. 4% of the males and 2.5% of the females. So it has nothing to do with parenting, apparently. Uh, and these are are, are often um, coming from gay and lesbian people who are biologically reproducing. And mm-hmm. they still make just as many straight kids as straight people do. <laughs> so it's yeah. not necessarily biological, and it's not necessarily environmental. It's just uh, at the, by the hand of God. Now, you uh, did mention that there were some things that for the male, for the for the boys in lesbian households, they got a they scored higher in a particular category that I would think would give them socially an advantage. Yeah, when they compare heterosexual boys. Men, young men, to uh, who grew up in lesbian households, to heterosexual boys that grew up in heterosexual households, the heterosexual boys who grew up in lesbian households score significantly higher in communication skills and in empathy, mm-hmm. empathic so, response. Mm-hmm. And the because I mean, the reason I would also be interested in this question, my older sister is gay and has two daughters, both of whom are married, heterosexual children, and orientation is straight. And the important thing was, is Sherry was concerned. She wanted to make sure her girls were going to be okay. And Really, what her girl said to her is like, listen, Mom, you know, you're loving us, you're fine, you know, this is who you are, we accept that. But the important thing that I want to be able to let people know is that the research says this is something that was there from the beginning. It has nothing to do with the parents and the parenting. We have 30 seconds until this break. Then my guest, Dr. Winston Wilde, will be on his way. Winston, please tell people how best to find you. Winstonwild.com. It's W-I-N-S-T-O-N-W-I-L-D-E. And mm-hmm. also we have a sex therapy clinic out in the Tenders. Tendersexcenter.com. Yes. And I will put that up on my site. Thank you, Winston, for being with me today. Thanks, Lou. Okay, bye, honey. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. To Spark Your Soul Radio with Ann Phyllis. Perspectives with purpose, insights with heart. The Woohoo Radio Network show for spiritual seekers and fire starters who are ready to stop feeling lost, alone, confused, or blocked. And 
and start tuning into your soul speak so you can ignite all areas of your world from your work to your relationships lifestyle to legacy host and phyllis is a spiritual analyst fire starter energy alchemist and soul truth clairvoyant using the heart and purpose-based principles of her signature soul sense system and offers weekly wisdom for tuning in letting go unlocking and unblocking if you've been walking through life with excess baggage a heavy heart a feeling of disconnection from your inner life consider and your guide to spark your soul journey and reignite your relationships life purpose work and spiritual consciousness every week on spark your soul radio and takes you on a journey into the heart of your soul sense there she helps translate your energy essence and soul truth knowing into positive action and change from this space of personal awakening and transformation you're able to reignite your spirit spark your soul and live in alignment with your vision and values ready to spark your soul check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player got a question for Anne? want to be a guest on her show visit sparkyoursoul.me and listen to Anne every thursday at 6 p.m central standard time only here on the woohoo radio network change or accelerating, making it increasingly difficult to gracefully go with the flow. Women Change the World presents conversations with featured guests about changes in their lives and how that change has created new and positive opportunities. Women Change the World with your host, Dr. Beth Golden, Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central here on toginet.com. We all know that change can knock you off course, and Dr. Beth's show and practices focus on revealing everything that's right with you. This information will help you make choices that align your true nature and set you along your path of least resistance. As Dr. Beth says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. For more on Dr. Beth and her show, go to drbethgolden.com. That's drbethgolden.com. Women Change the World with your host, Dr. Beth Golden. Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central here on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. And thank you for being with me uh, through my first three segments with Dr. Winston Wild. And again, if you have questions for Dr. Wild, you can reach him at www.winstonwild.com. And also, if you are in the California area, you can reach him um, either here in Beverly Hills area or in Palm Desert. Now, what I wanted to go over in this segment were things that I refer to as sex in the news or things relative to sex that I have visited, seen, or encountered over the last week. And last night, I was finally able 
to with my calendar, get to see Jean Franz Blau's show, Coming Out Kinky. Now, some of you may remember, she was my guest for my April 9th show, and this really is a one-woman show where she goes through all of the the evolvement of how she discovered, through the different boyfriends, her kink predilection, the things that when she first witnessed this one scene in a dungeon, and the evolution of how she became and felt sexually fulfilled. And it was not at all. So when we talk about the troublesome turn-ons, initially it was like it was a total turn-on, but wow, is this okay? And yet she had someone who guided her and was very helpful with exploring, now wanted to only be 100% the dominant, which is the reason why their first relationship, her first relationship ended. But she goes through so many different nuanced reactions to things that you, unless you'd walked in those shoes, you would not have known it. And she, Jean has, she has a business background, but she also has a very strong theater background. And she relies on that for the presentation. It is running still for the next three Sundays until, I believe if I look at my handy-dandy little card here, until June 8th, and it is a 7.30 start. It is being held at the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica. So it literally is on the promenade in Santa Monica, the Third Street Promenade, 1404. It's... um. Uh, Waver Theater, like a, I'm drawing a blank on the term, but it's a 99-seat theater, so it's small, it's tiny, it runs 75 minutes, and it goes by in a blink, and it is a great show. She does a terrific job. So any of you who would like to uh, look at that or check it out, you can check out her her website is like, I think it's kinkygene.com. Yeah, www.kinkygene.com, and you will find her, you know, the information on it. The other thing that um, I'm going to be doing this week, not so much sexuality, but more of a conference style, is the California Women's Conference. That's going to be held this week at the, it is on right now, the Long Beach Convention Center. I have been very nicely um, and very generously guested by Dr. Marissa Pei, who is referred to as the Asian Oprah. She's an organizational psychologist. I was on her show a couple of, oh, I guess about a month ago, and she it was looking to put together a larger panel on breaking the glass, you know, breaking the, the glass ceiling of sexuality. And unfortunately, we weren't able to put the whole thing together. So I'm just going to be attending as opposed to doing a panel with her. The other thing that I look at on an ongoing basis, and I did my show last week on this, sex in the news. And one of the things I find, you know, there's times when I look at these studies and I go, people, you got to be kidding me. It's like this says, humans have a nose for gender. Clinical cues influence perceptions of movement as more masculine or feminine. Well, if you've ever been a woman who has walked into an elevator and men have gotten off of it before you, you know men have been in that elevator. It, you know, it's like, hello, 
you do not have to have a study to tell you this. And finally, we have just had another study that says, regardless of where a woman is in her ovulatory cycle, she's going to basically be attracted to the same type of person, the same man, which I'm sure for most men is kind of like, whew, sigh of relief. That, um, and when I look at, and I talked about this last week, the individual who did the study on the width of the hips determined how many sexual partners a woman is going to have. Far too small a study. The parameters that he judged it on were simply the external parameters of the width of the hips on the outside. It's like lamb chop. Do you know nothing about how women give birth? It goes through the birth canal. So that is really the determining factor on the ease of delivery, not the width of her hips. So, you know, anyway, that was one of my others. But I go on sites, and again, last week I spoke about, I want you to become shrewd consumers and educated consumers on information that gets given to you in the area of sexuality. Because many times people are going to be using, uh, they'll be using scientific terms, or they will be using something that you'll go, I have no idea what they were just talking about there. The thing, because I have the sciences background, I get it. I know what they're saying. I know what they're trying to say. And so that's why I try and, you know, take things out of the the delivery that they may do where they're doing just simply science speak. The world of clinicians that Dr. Wild is in, there are some people who are just so terrific, like him, that if you are able or someone needs to have a conversation, you can have a, you know, a short uh, phone conversation and say, listen, you know, in Rancho Mirage or in Beverly Hills, and the voicemail is 323-692-9120. And again, his website is www.winstonwild.com. W-I-N-S-T-O-N-W-I-L-D-E dot com. Something that I am working on right now is my brand new website, which will have a tremendous amount of free content, articles, uh, some of the sex talk with Lou, which is still up there, lattes with Lou, media. And what I want people to get is I want that you to have access to a lot of things, short, sweet, simple, little videos, little segments. And then I'm also going to have, and it's been edited and just about ready to go, the ladies' seminar and the gentlemen's seminar. When I first did these, I was only doing them in you know homes or in uh, hotels. And now people have said to me, Like most things, we just want to be able to have the information that we need. We want to have it now. We want to be able to use it. And we want to be able to look at it before we do something or at that moment. So it will be set up in a similar way, in a streaming way, similar to Netflix. And so that you can look at it and get the information immediately. You don't have to find me. You don't have to find a book. You can just get it. When I talked earlier, and I will be giving him a call right after this show, the friend of mine whose uh, son and daughter both came out, and he and his wife were worried that 
by something they had done. Their children were both gay. No. In the show last evening, actually, what Jean said is she has at one point, she is, her mother is one of the characters, and her mother says, did, well, did we screw things up with you? And she says, um, yeah, but not for the reasons that you think. And so how and what someone is interested in, it's like parents can direct children on an interest area, but really the thing that is going to turn their head It's going to be inside of them from the beginning. I'm an identical twin. What I find appealing and interesting in any area of my life is not what my twin sister likes, is not what my older sister likes, is not what my younger sister likes. So it's not about the environment that we were around because we all kind of sat at the same dining room table. And then I have two brothers that they weren't around at that time. They already had left the house. And also... Who you are attracted is completely of your own awareness. My twin sister and I have never been attracted to the same person with the exception of one person when we were in high school. That's it. So please be aware that who you are is a very unique individual in relationships, in sexuality, in your sexual appetite, in your sexual desires. And, you know, you might just go back and look at what you did wear for Halloween. As this one woman said, I dressed up as a bunny and not a Playboy bunny, a bunny with ears. She said, what does that mean about me? I said, it may mean you're into furries. I'm not sure. It may mean you love bunnies. But for all of you, I thank you for being with me today. My guest was Dr. Winston Wilde. This is Lou Paget. And next week, I'll do a posting online and let you know who my next guest is going to be. And until then... Enjoy yourselves, be safe, and be loving to one another. Bye for now. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Padgett.